with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. We're doing this study on the cross. I know it's ministering to me. I pray that it's ministering to you. It's kind of just a theme. It's a thought. It's, a, it's a, something that the Lord keeps bringing to us on these Wednesday nights. I also want to tell you this, that uh, starting the first Tuesday in October, we are going to pray and fast. Uh, I'm just asking you to be part of this. You know what's going on in our country. I don't have to explain it to you. I think that National Guard had to be called in today to Kentucky because of uh, some... I think something was going on because of a, a verdict that was handed down and they're expecting riots and, and so forth there. But anyway, uh, we're going to do it every Tuesday of October. And then the election is November 3rd. That's Sunday night, the 1st of November, Monday night, the 2nd. And we'll see about Tuesday during the election. But we're going we're gonna to have Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday of of prayer and fasting. We might we might add some. Some of our Wednesday nights we might take a break from the cross series and pray and fast on those Wednesday nights. But that's just a minimum, okay? Just it's it's not it's not a burden. I mean this is we have a privilege to call upon God. We have a responsibility to call upon God. The heathen are not seeking God on behalf of this country. We are. Okay? And we're gonna do it. We're not just going to talk about doing it. In Jesus' name, we're going to do it. We're going to pray and fast on these days. We have our prayer meetings on Sunday nights. Some of these Wednesday nights, as we get closer, we will do it as well. And then maybe a little extended time right before the election. So please pray. We don't want to wait to the night before. You know, it's like cramming for a test. We don't want to wait to the, the last night before. I did that plenty at LSU. But I want, to, I want us to be beseeching the Lord. Because there's a lot going on right now, not leading up to the election, where God can show favor. And uh, so please just, just note that. It's not next Tuesday, but the following one. Uh, we'll start meeting on Tuesday nights for prayer, fasting and prayer. So Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. Speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, it says, Who gave Himself for our sins, that He might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. And so what, what Jesus came for, one of the purposes He came for was to deliver us from this present evil world. We're still in the world, but we're not of the world. We're going to talk about this tonight. This has been a theme the last couple of weeks and it will continue to be tonight. The cross and the world. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and the world. When it says uh, the world, the word deliver, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. That means to pluck out or to rescue. He wants to take us out. We know at the rapture we're going to be taken out even bodily. Praise God. Be excited about the rapture, okay, y'all? We don't talk about it enough. We're going to see, receive glorified bodies and never get sick or tired or hurt. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. But until then, He has still plucked us out. Jesus at His first coming came to pluck sinful men that trust in Him completely out of this present evil world. That we're, we're still in it physically, but morally and spiritually we're not. And He wants to pluck us out of that. I just want to... Uh, you will turn with me. i got another scripture I want to read real quickly. Psalm 18, verse 16. Psalm 18, verse 16. 
Now think about the scripture we just read about the Lord delivering us or plucking us out of this present evil world. Psalm 18.16 He sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. Amen? Isn't that a wonderful scripture? This is what the Lord did for us. He sent from above. Well, He sent Jesus from above. And He, he drew me out. Okay? He drew me out, took me and drew me out of many waters. And so the Lord has rescued us from sin. He's also come to rescue us from this evil world, although He still has a purpose for us being in the evil world right now. Okay? Think about this now, and this we're going to talk about pretty much the rest of the night. It's one thing for the Lord to rescue us out of the world. If He were to just take us out and put us in some beautiful temple or sanctuary on a mountain somewhere, and all we were was with just the Lord and other believers. But He took us out of this world in a spiritual sense, but He left us here physically to be witnesses for Christ, to be ambassadors for Christ. And so we have to, there is another work of the cross and there's another work of God and that is our sanctification. And tonight we're going to put it in terms of this. He took us out of the world at salvation and we're just, we're just reasoning it this way, okay? But He still has the world that He needs to get out of us as we walk with the Lord. We think about Moses, and we've used Moses for an example before. Forty years of living in Egypt, and the, and the pleasures of Egypt, and the aristocrat uh, you know, lifestyle of Egypt. The Lord got Moses out, first of all, and sent him to a desert, right? Totally out of the nation, out from under Pharaoh, out of all that. And he's just like plain old shepherd in shepherd's clothes, tending dirty sheep in the heat. And for 40 years... God saw that as what was needed to get Egypt out of Moses. So think of it that way. He got, in a moment, he got Moses out of Egypt, put him in the wilderness. And so he's safe from Pharaoh. That whole 40 years, he's safe from Pharaoh and he retribution because of the, the man that he killed. Um, but God had to work in the man's heart, life, mind, traditions, everything that was ingrained in him for 40 years of his life that he was all that he knew and that he was accustomed to that was not of God God had to get that out of him before he could send him back kind of unattached to anything but God go back and deliver my people now and the greatest it's almost like the greatest picture the greatest victory the Lord takes a sinner out of the world at salvation. You could say He forgives us, cleanses us, makes us new in Christ. That is an established eternal fact. But then He spends time, probably our lifetime, getting the world out of us. And then He brings us to a point, at least where enough of the world is out of us, where we're dead to it and detached from it, where He can send us back like Moses. I have a personal testimony of my own life. Not that I'm anything at all. I didn't know all of this stuff when I got saved. I just got saved and I was excited about Jesus. I was still very much attached to the world. And I've shared my testimony, so I'm not going to share the whole thing again. But in end of high school and in college, still very much attached to friends. And to lost friends. Okay? Lost friends. 
God had to cut that line. Okay, he had to cut that and get me like Moses. He had to get me out of that. Okay, out of that fraternity, out of LSU, out of that whole circle of people. And he had to do it quickly. It was like, bam, a clear cut. And it was. It was a clear cut off. And he had to get me back with him in the desert somewhere and work at, and I'm still not there, but there has been a genuine work, okay? Where he was getting so much of the world out of me. Then there came a point, and I've shared the testimony at my 20 year high school reunion, which was a long time ago now, my 20 year reunion was almost 20 years ago. Uh, And the Lord sent me back in and I didn't know all the really the story of Moses. I wasn't thinking all that, but it's really like that. It's probably like that with some of your lives. Because I was in no shape, spiritual shape, when I was in a fraternity, though I was saved, or when I just came out of it, to go sh- share the gospel and witness for Christ to people that I had spent the last, well, from seventh grade, okay, through high school, through LSU. Same group of guys. I was in no position, maybe someone else was, but I wasn't, to go be the one to preach Christ to them. They knew me better than anybody on this planet knew me. And my lifestyle and my testimony for the Lord was not what it should have been. But God got me to a point, and He knew when it was, and, and I, I really felt like I could go back in. I knew I could go back in to this. It was like a picnic thing they were having for our reunion. And Dee and I said, let's go for one purpose only. We're going to see what witness for Christ we can be there. That's it. I'm not trying to rekindle old friendships. I'm not trying to make my old friends think I'm very successful and have made it in life or anything like that. I'm going back to see what God will do strictly for him. We'll stay as long as or short as he would have us to go. And I've shared it with you, but we'll walk in. Here's an old friend of mine who was in that little group of friends, very close. Uh, and he says, hey, Randy, I hear you're a pastor now. Would you come and teach us the Bible? That happens at that reunion. Yes, I'll teach you the Bible. I mean, it's just who but God. You understand what I'm saying? Hey, I hear you're a pastor you want to come teach us a Bible study? And so every Wednesday morning at 6 a.m. or 6.30, we started meeting in this guy's house off of Highland Road with old buddies of mine. Not all of them, but some came and some that I wasn't so close to, and they, they were coming. And not too many weeks later, I'm kneeling down by the couch with a hand on one friend and a hand on another friend, and they're giving their lives to Jesus. God had to get the world out of me before... I could do that. And one of the things that really got me when he was separating me from those friends and I was struggling, fighting against God, he was like, it's like I'm having this argument with God. And he says, you say you love your friends so much. Do you care if they go to hell or not? You love them so much, you don't want to lose their friendship, but I love them and I don't want them to go to hell. And so he had to get me away from them 
And it wasn't like the Lord says, I'm going to get you away for five months, five years. So he just had to get me out, period. And when he saw it was time and ready to go back in. Like Moses in that sense. And that would be the case for all of us. It doesn't have to take a lot of time. It doesn't have to take 20 years. And for the younger people here, I'll tell you this, you don't have to live a compromising life. You can have a wonderful testimony for the Lord now to where you could be winning friends to the Lord now. But in my life, that's how it was. So just picture the whole, it's sort like a full circle. He brings us out of the world. He gets the world out of us through, through a daily walk with God and sanctification. Then He sends us back into the world unattached. That's the key to it. Unattached to the world. I don't go back saying, are they going to think I'm cool? I don't go back thinking, I'm going to rekindle friendships and they're going to ask me to go to their condo at the beach. I go back to bring them Christ. If I'm accepted or rejected or whatever, I'm, I'm serving the Lord. And it makes a difference. It makes a world of difference, to, so to speak. Um, so, when we re-enter, and this is what we're talking about tonight, that re-entry, so to speak, into the world. And there again, you, you might not have a testimony like mine. You might have never been saved and been worldly. Which is a wonderful testimony, by the way. But God is still working in all of us to get the world out of us, myself included. But the Bible makes it very clear that there is a certain relationship that the believer now has with the world, right? When we talk to the youth about it all the time. It's not like I'm just saved, the world's the world, and I'm saved, and the church is the church, and oh, we're all just one big happy family. Now that I'm saved, there is a very distinct biblical relationship that I am to have, and you are to have as believers, to the world. We talked about it last week. Love not the world, right? Nor the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world. And it, it, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. He says, don't love that. But yet we love people with the love of the Lord. The worst of people, because we were the worst of people. Don't think we were any better than lost people today. We weren't any better than lost people today. And we ought not think we were. But there, there's a specific relationship. And my relationship is I'm going to be an ambassador. I'm a stranger and a pilgrim. But I have their best interest in mind. I love them more than their best buddy loves them. Talking about a worldling. Okay? A lost person. They don't realize it. They're blinded to that. But the Lord can open their eyes through the preaching of the Gospel. Through the Word of God. And so there's a relationship we have. The Bible, Jesus said, ye are not of the world. Let's look at a couple of scriptures just real quickly. John, we're going to be in John 15, and then I'll mention some from John 17. John 15, 19. Just for time, I'm going to go ahead and read it. We ought to highlight things like this in our Bibles. And those that have children, those that have uh, children, you know, that are teenagers and so forth, that may be struggling with acceptance in the world and the approval of the world. We're to be dead to that. We're to be dead to that. And we get it from the Word of God. He says in John 15, 19, If you were of the world, the world would love His own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Not only are we not of the world, strictly because we're believers, period. Okay? 
But he says, the world hates you for that. The world hates you for that. They're going to hate us until they come to know Christ and love Him. Alright? Then they'll, they'll love us like with the love of the Lord. But until that day, they're going to hate us. So there's a relationship we have with the world. And it's not any relationship that we choose. We see a lot of people today and Christians today, and I talk about it all the time, one foot in the world, one foot in the church. I can speak from experience, okay? And, and think that we're going to be the ones, you know, like, like some explorer discovering this new land. We think we're going to be the ones that discover, oh, there's this other life that the Bible doesn't talk about where I can be friends with the world, keep everything, and as long as it's not too evil or wicked, I can keep everything in the world, and I can have all of Jesus too. You're not going to discover it because God is not there, and it's not God's will. If we really love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and mind, we would be detached from that. We would see that this is not of God. This world that I'm trying to hang on to is not of God. This friend that I love so much that's lost, if I really love him, get on your knees and pray for him. Fast for them. Go share the gospel with them. They'll probably be the ones to cut you off. You understand what I'm saying? Just wear it as a badge of honor. Okay, I was cut off for standing for Jesus. And, and go on with the Lord. But you also might be the one that gets to win them to the Lord. Maybe that week or maybe uh, a year from then. You just don't know. But y'all, the moral distance. This is, this is what we're, the, the picture. We're in the world and you work with unbelievers. You have unbelievers in your family. Maybe not your immediate family. Maybe you do. We're, we're in society. We're in a world of lost people. And so physically, we are right with them. You might have to do business decisions with them. You might ride in a pickup truck with them to a job site. Uh, we're with them. You sit by them in school. But morally, this is where the separation is. Morally, spiritually, there's... A chasm, an impassable distance between you and them that only salvation would bring. Keep it that way. Don't apologize for it. Don't don't try to say I'm going to somehow try to bridge that gap and make it happen. I think that's what's so seeker friendly. The whole philosophy of seeker friendly, which is a disaster, by the way, it's a disaster. Seeker friendly churches. It's a disaster because it's that philosophy that we're going to please men, lost men, by the way, we're going to please them and get them to church. But the Lord doesn't say get them to church. He says get them to Christ. You know, there's nothing wrong with inviting people to church. I think we should do it. But I'm saying I know for a fact we're to bring men to Christ. And then the Lord adds daily to the church such as are saved. And so uh, keep that moral distance. I just want to do this real quick. In John 17, you you don't have to turn there. I'm going to hit parts of verses. Jesus set forth the Christian's relationship to the world, basically. And he says this in verse 6, we're taken out of the world. He says in verse 14, we're not of the world. He says in verse 15, we're kept from the evil of the world. He says in verse 11, we're left in the world. He says in verse 18, verses 18 and 20, we're sent into the world to preach to the world. And he said in verse 14, we'll be hated by the world. 
Okay, so I'm going to just say to you tonight, we're not going to be too long, but I'm going to say to you tonight that uh, settle in your minds once and for all. It's almost like a wake up call. Settle in your minds that you're not of the world and settle it in your minds that you're going to be because Jesus said so. It doesn't mean every human being you ever run across, but as a whole, settle it that you're going to be hated by the world. And then sort of man up, so to speak, in Jesus' name. Man up and say, He's worth it. The Lord's worth it. I've already accepted the fact that this world is not my home. This world is not the one I'm seeking to please. This world rejects me because it rejects the one who saved me and died on the cross. And I'm accepting that so I'm not surprised about it later when it happens. You know, Jesus a lot of times said, he, Jesus told his disciples beforehand so that when it came to pass, they would know. Well, that's one of the things he was telling them beforehand. Before he went to the cross, John 15, John 17, about the relationship to the world and how they would be treated. And we talked about it the last two Sunday mornings, right? Sheep in the midst of wolves. And so that's a pretty moral, that's a pretty significant difference. Not sheep in the midst of sheep, sheep in the midst of wolves. That's, that's our relationship. Don't, uh, the, the world that crucified Christ will not be able to tolerate you. The Bible says, Yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And there's a period right there. So it's a simple sentence. It doesn't need a lot of expounding, exposition on it. All means all that live godly. Because you can be in Christ and live ungodly. But you're displeasing the one who saved you and he'll deal with your heart about it. Okay? All who live godly will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Does it mean every day, every moment? Does it mean we're thrown in prison? Not necessarily. But he says that life that lives godly that's in Christ is going to suffer persecution. That would be more the pattern. That would be the norm. And so we, we ought to be concerned if we never are facing any kind of persecution. I mean, think about it. If we've learned this happy medium, then we've, we've compromised Christ. If we're going through life not being persecuted in any way, shape, or form, then there's one answer to that only, and that's we've compromised the Lord. That's all that it could be. And so I remember... Uh, it's, it's like a mark of a true discipleship. It's almost like a badge of honor if we're a Christian, though. Now, again, we're not looking for trouble. It's not needless persecution. It's not me because Randy and my flesh wanted to stir up a hornet's nest and get the world to hate me or get a mob mad at me and, and swing a baseball bat at me. It comes as we serve God in the office place, in the school. In the, in the workplace, so forth. It, it comes. It, it just comes. And I, I think it was Leonard Ravenhill. If you listen to that uh, revival hymn, there's a little clip, and he's got that high-pitched kind of voice, and he says, how is it, and I, I'm paraphrasing, because I don't know the exact quote, but it's very close to this. How is it the world couldn't get along with the whole, most holy man that ever lived, but it can get along with you? I mean, that's pretty convicting. Most holy man, I'm not, I'm not 
near like my Lord and Savior in my lifestyle, my conversation, my countenance, my love for people. I'm like Him, but not nearly like Him, if, if you know what I mean. The world couldn't get along with Him. The only thing fitting in the world's eyes, now that's when we're talking about the world, this is the world we're talking about. In the world's eyes, the only thing fitting for the most holy man that ever lived was crucify Him. The world couldn't get along with Jesus, but it gets along just fine with you and me. How is that? It ought to cause us to think. Because there's, there must not be enough uh, of the working of the cross in our lives. And, and the result is a compromise. We've compromised with the world. And, and we don't, the world's not rebuked, so to speak, by our testimony. It's a good thing, by the way. Not rebuked by me and my flesh, just going around, I don't like that. I don't like that. I'm going to condemn that. No. The, the world's not rebuked by our testimony for the Lord. Through our actions, through our words, through what we say, what we don't say, where we go, where we don't go, what we hold to, who we hold to, who, who Spirit has filled us. There's, there's not enough testimony in us of the Lord so that the world is not rebuked by our testimony. And it should be. The Bible says that Samson in the Old Testament was called by God to be what? A Nazarite. Right? Not only a, a Hebrew and a Jew, which should live a certain way, but a Nazarite would have special separation unto God in his life. And we find him with Delilah living in fornication. It's his unholy uh, compromise or union or fellowship there's a good picture of a believer in the world. He lost his strength, didn't he? Let a woman humble him and lose his strength. Now, God forgave him. We see that in, in the Bible. And he did turn back to the Lord at the end of his life, but it cost him his life. That, was, that wasn't honoring to the Lord. Now, that end honored the Lord. But you understand, it was an unholy compromise, so to speak. And so... Let me, let me give you a scripture that... Uh, look at this in John 7, verse 7. I wonder if you've ever thought about this scripture. I, may, I might not have thought about it that much. In John 7, 7, Jesus is actually speaking to His brothers. The, the Bible scholars say, and it appears from the scripture, He's talking to His brothers, which were not believers. They're His half-brothers, right? Mary's their mother. Uh, but you understand, but they, they were his siblings after Jesus was born of a virgin. And he had earthly brothers who did not believe in him till after the cross, the burial, the resurrection. James was a believer and a follower of the Lord after the resurrection, not during his lifetime. So look what he says here in verse 7. Jesus says to his unbelieving brothers, the world cannot hate you but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. He's actually saying the world cannot hate you. And that's, that's a, a, a rebuke. That's not a compliment. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I'm testifying. And Jesus didn't go around ranting and raving like some of these people do. Uh, he, he spoke what His Father's 
gave him to speak and did what his father gave him to, to do. And people saw the love of God. And he loved little children. And he healed blind people and lepers. And, and he cared for people. And he wept for the people. And they were following him for several days and didn't have food. So he made sure they got food and multiplied the fish and loaves. But yet he testified against the world. That would include people in the world that the, the works and the deeds are evil. The world can't hate you. The world loves its own. So he's telling his unbelieving brothers that. And y'all, we need to, we need to, uh, to live such a life that we have a testimony that, that rebukes the sinful world. Not me and my flesh rebuking everyone but the testimony of Christ in me. And if we're not incurring the hatred that Jesus incurred upon His life and our disciple, His disciples, then it's because we must have compromised some way with the world. When you and I are in full identification with the Lord, so to speak, the world's going to hate us like it hated Him. He says that. He says that. The world hates me, it's going to hate you. The world mis- mistreated me, it's going to mis- mistreat you. But again, it's almost like a badge of courage. This would be the first, uh, almost like the first step of, of initiation, so to speak, in, in living for God. He saves us by His grace. And I'm talking about being a disciple and a follower of the Lord. And that's what this whole study is about. Taking up our cross, if we're not mocked by the world, if we're not ridiculed, misunderstood uh, by the world, by other religions, and so forth, then we don't. There's something in us that's lacking, and it's our testimony for Christ, or our boldness to stand for the Lord. I've just got a few more things I want to read. I got some wonderful quotes. I want you to listen to them. This uh, particular pastor said this. It's just a, a, some, some history, and I thought it was very significant. The men who conquered the Roman Empire for Christ. This would be the disciples in the early church. That early church world. The men who conquered the Roman Empire for Christ bore the aspect of invaders from another world who absolutely refused to be naturalized to this world. Their conduct filled their heathen neighbors with the strangest perplexity. These believe These... These Christians, he says, were so careful of conscience. In other words, to you might be around people. I've been around people. They curse. You don't curse. They wonder why you don't curse. Why don't you let a few things slip? They watch this on TV. You don't watch that on TV. Uh, they're looking at things they shouldn't look at. They're wondering why you don't every now and then do something like that. Because we're careful because we're living for Jesus. Okay, sometimes we do. We ask God to forgive us. But you understand my point where we're careful for our conscience, for conscience sake, for Christ's sake. He goes on to say these these Christians were so unsubdued to the custom of the country in which they lived, sojourned and so mindful of that country where they were going. They the help of the world, the patronage, patronage of its rulers the loan of its resources, the use of its methods, they utterly refused. Lest by employing these, they might compromise their king. But listen, I love this statement at the end. 
But there can be no reasonable doubt that that age in which the church was so completely separated from the world was the age in which Christianity was the most victorious in the world. There's no doubt about that. People say it all the time. We've said it. Why don't we see His miracles today? Like we did with Peter and John healing the lame man by the temple. They were separated unto God. They were walking, living martyrs. That's what the word means. You'll be witnesses unto me. They were already dead. And they are living on borrowed time, so to speak. Their life was not their own. And in reality, theologically, we know that that's the, the case for us. But in practice, it's not always the case for us. And so, they were so detached from the world that they were, uh, they were effective for Christ. That's what's missing. Not seeker-friendly. That's not what's missing. What's missing is the power of the Holy Spirit. What's missing is that testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ to live for Him, to die for Him, and, and be okay with that, and be joyful with that. A couple more things. This is historical. I think it's, it's very good. For 200 years, another minister of the Lord says, for 200 years, so this is the early church, okay? But to become a Christian meant the great renunciation just to say, I'm giving my life to Jesus. It meant the joining of a despised and persecuted sect. The swimming against the tide of popular prejudice. The coming under the ban of the empire. The possibility at any moment of imprisonment and death. He that would follow Christ must count the cost. And prepare to pay the same cost with his liberty and with his life. For 200 years, the mere profession of Christianity in the Roman Empire was itself a crime. Just to say it, I'm a Christian. That was a crime. Tertullian said, public hatred asked but one thing, and that not investigation into the crime charges, but simply the confession of the Christian name. They wouldn't even check in to see if there's any validity to it. If you confessed Christ, it was a crime. Now I'm about to close, but in the Roman Empire, in the early church, the Romans, the Greeks, and other Gentiles were called the first race. The Jews were different. They were called the second race. This is within the Roman Empire. But the Christians were so disenfranchised of the world, from the world, so intolerant of the world's spirit, so standing out from the world in contrast, were stigmatized as the third race. They were the lowest scum of all. The Christians were the third race. And you know what? Christians willingly embraced this, this stigma because their thought was, and I love this way this is put, anything was better than sin. You can call, call me what you want, do what you want. It's still better than sin. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to compromise. Call me what you want, do what you want. This was actually a cry at the, you know how the Romans uh, circus Carthage. This was a circus where they would, uh, part of the entertainment was feeding Christians to the lions. It was a circus. It was an entertainment. The third race, okay? All the way down. That's where the Christians were on the totem pole. And this was a cry in the circus. 
as they are feeding them to the lions. Lions, how long must we endure this third race? And then they would feed them to the lions for their entertainment. And I think it might have been Nero that you know would put them in his garden out front and light them on fire. Uh, that's our brothers and sisters. It's not just some people a long time ago. That's our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our blood brothers, so to speak. Amen? Our spiritual brothers. Why did they have such an impact? They literally changed the course of history. They changed the course of history by their separation from the world, by the cross of Jesus Christ, by whom I'm crucified to the world and the world unto me, that they had an effect. I'm closing with this. Mark Well... The author of this book says, O popular Christian and worldly wise preacher, how far you must go in the world in order to please the world. You better mark it and say, how far do I have to go to please the world? Stop is the point here. You want to try to find this happy medium. You want to make the world happy with you. You're not. Not if you live for God. You're not. Jesus said, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. Never had the church so much influence over the world as when she had nothing to do with the world. That's when you have an influence. I believe that God is trying to get our church back to that right now. I believe we're living in the last of the last of the last days. We're not raptured yet. But until we are raptured, we're living in this little tiny bit of time where Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Walk while you have the light. Okay? We have the light now. And we need to live like that early church, so detached from the world and dead to the world that we have an influence for Christ in the world. Church doesn't have much. There's some wonderful people. I love Franklin Graham, the, the stand that he takes. I'm not saying we're the only ones. But the church is not having that influence. Obviously, if we were, there's a church on every corner, right? Church of every denomination, every corner in every city in the U.S. If the church was having that influence, our church, our society would not be the way that it is now. That doesn't mean God can't do it. He absolutely is calling us back to that. Those, uh, those early Christians came out of the world co- completely separated and then they plunged back in like we opened up with, right? Getting Moses out of Egypt, sending him back in. He drew me out of many waters. He saved me. Now He's sending me back in. But He's sending me in detached from it all. Tertullian, who was an early believer, said, we engage in these conflicts as men whose very lives are not our own. And I'm closing with that. This is, the, this is the cross. This is the work of the cross in our lives. Y'all, I don't think this is the kind of sermon, I know it's not where God would just have us to run out the door real quick. I know kids got school and I know that. And I'm not saying we have to linger for hours. But please take a moment, even if you make an altar at your chair, where this is building. This whole study is building upon this. This is where we are. We're Christians for such a time as this. We're not having the influence. I'm not having the influence like that early church, but God hasn't changed. We can come back. We need to be separated from this world. And I'll close with this scripture. 
that ye may be blameless, I read it Sunday morning, and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, that ye may be that, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Isn't that a wonderful scripture? Philippians 2, 15. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And God, we just give ourselves to you tonight, Lord. And I know this is not just a quick work that's done in, in 30 seconds, but Lord, I do pray that you would forgive me. Maybe I compare myself to other believers and I'm saying I'm so much more separated than most of the church world. But you're not asking me to be more separated than most of the church world. You're asking me to be dead to this world. You're calling me to. You said the world's going to hate me. And if the world doesn't hate me, it's a rebuke upon me because I'm worldly. God, that power is going to come. That influence for Christ over a lost, dark, sinful, hell-bound world is going to come from our the power of Jesus the light in the midst of this darkness as we die to ourself and die to our attachments to this world. Let the cross of Jesus make us crucified unto the world and the world unto us. Let us accept the hatred of the world and not try to, to run away from it or avoid it. That the favor of our God would shine upon us. That the power of of the Lord would shine upon us. That we would shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom we, we dwell. I pray that for the young. I pray for the middle age. I pray for the old. I pray for the male, female, singles, married. I pray for all of us, God, that you would help us to be that. It's an inward work, God. That you would cut us off from the cares of this world. Give us courage. Give us boldness, God. Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.